0: Welcome to the Center Ranch Church weekly podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. So we, We've been doing a series for the last few weeks that we're calling Stronger, and just very simply, we've been talking about growing in our walk with the Lord, becoming stronger as men and women of God, and we've been using Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10, sort of like a, a launching point for this series that says, if you fall or if you fail, if you stumble in, in a day of adversity or in a time of trouble, that it reveals something about you, that your strength is too small trouble and difficult times come to all of us and when they when they come it reveals something to us if it causes us to fall or to fail it reveals that we didn't build enough strength but that's not the only thing that it has the ability to to reveal in our lives we don't want that to be the revelation that it brings and it doesn't have to be the revelation that it brings because you can have trial and difficulty in days of adversity and it reveals something different it can reveal that your strength was adequate it can bring a revelation that your You had abundant strength, right? That when difficulty comes, you're still left standing strong like the house that was built on the rock that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7. Amen? So difficulty is coming in all of our lives, but that's not something for us to wring our hands about. It's something for us to prepare ourselves for so that we're still left standing strong, that the storms of life can come, trials can come, temptations can come, but every time life gets a little rough, it doesn't leave us laying flat on our back. It us standing strong, celebrating the victory that we just experienced, and we build one upon another, and that's the life that God wants us to live. But there are things that we have to do in order to build our strength. Just like in the natural, if you see somebody who's very muscular, very fit, or if you're at the grocery store and you see the fitness magazine, you know, with the really muscly guy, the muscly lady on the front, you know by looking that that's not just natural, right? They didn't just wake up one day and they're covered in muscles like that. But There were certain steps that they took, certain programs that they were a part of, things that they decided to do, things that they... they didn't let themselves do to be able to build that kind of strength. But somehow in this, when it comes to spiritual strength, we'll sometimes just think that when we know a great man of God, read stories about great women of God, these people that made huge impact, like God just has favorites that he just makes certain people really strong and others he leaves weak. No, it's the same thing. There are steps you can take, things that you can do spiritually to build strength. So we've been talking about some of those things we can do to get ourselves stronger as men and women of God. The first thing we talked about was the importance of just building our confidence, keeping ourselves aware that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to forgive us of all of our sins. That doesn't sound like a big deal. It's an enormous deal. Because if you are constantly dealing in the back of your mind with past failures and regret, it'll it'll weigh you down and keep you from being able to proceed and develop the way that God wants you to develop. We looked at 2 Peter chapter 1 that talks about that. People that develop and just continue to grow and add one virtue to another in their lives. And then it says, but some people don't develop like this. And one of the causes is they don't keep themselves aware of the fact that they've been cleansed of their sins. So you've got to know that when you confess your sin... It's as far as the east is from the west. You are clean in the eyes of God. The blood of Jesus is effective at cleansing you and making you white as snow, amen? That, that's important to keep ourselves aware of. Then we talked about how we engage with the word of God. The way that you engage with the word of God is going to play a key role in how you develop and grow stronger. We talked about the, the parable of the sower in Mark chapter four. We talked about having a, a deep engagement and not a shallow engagement with the word. Taking time to think about God's word. Meditate on the word of God. Study the word of God. Apply the word of God. We want to be doers of the word. Amen. Then, then last week we talked about prayer. We want to be people that spend time praying. People that develop relationship with, with the Lord. We, we talked about some of the benefits of prayer. One of the things that we mentioned was that prayer keeps us from falling into temptation. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 25, watch and pray. Why? So that you won't fall into temptation. If you look at your life and you see that you repeatedly fall into temptation, you can see that there is a lack of prayer in your life. We talked about the the direct connection between the amount of time that you spend talking with someone and the strength of that relationship. And there's a correlation Sometimes we let ourselves off the hook that, you, hey, I pray every day. You know, I spend five minutes in prayer on the, while, while I'm getting ready for work. I pray every day. There's nothing wrong with that, but the amount of time you spend praying, it matters. It just does. It, it matters. There's a correlation between the strength of a relationship and the amount of time that you spend talking to a person. You see it in the natural. We need to apply it when it comes to our relationship with God. If, if you had someone in your life that you talk to every day but it was just the security guard on your way into work or, or some person that you just had a brief interaction with every day. You just said, hey, how are you doing? Good morning. All right, have a good day. You talked to him every day, but it was just like a, a one-minute interaction. But then somebody else that you talked to for two hours every day, it'd be very easy to determine that the person you talked to for two hours, that relationship is probably much stronger than the one you spent you know, just talking one or two minutes. So the time that you spend talking to God matters. Don't, don't just say, I pray every day and it's, you know, a couple of minutes. Take time, carve out time to spend communing with the Lord, listening for his voice, casting your cares on him. So we took time to talk about different things that a strong prayer life does in our life to cause us to be strong men and women of God, let, let me read to you from Galatians chapter six verse eight. It says, "For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. He who sows to the flesh reaps corruption. He who sows to the spirit reaps life." So how, how do you sow to the flesh, and how do you sow to the spirit? One of the ways that you sow is just by the way that you use your time, right? You, you spend your time, or you invest your time different ways. You might even use that kind of language. I've really been investing a lot of time in fill in the blank. Well, you can invest, sow your time into the things of the flesh, and there, there's a corruption that you receive... Or you can sow your time, invest your time into the things of the Spirit. And that's what we're talking about. When you take time to spend with the Word of God, take time and spend it in prayer, you are sowing to the Spirit. And the Bible says that there is a return on investment. There's a harvest and it's everlasting, abundant life that you begin to harvest. So we want to be intentional about the way that we use our time. Amen? Continuing to grow, grow stronger. We're going to continue talking about... That today, would you pray with me one more time? Father, we love you, we praise you. Father, if we look at your word this morning, I pray you bless each one of us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear. Holy Spirit, you come and speak to our hearts, ask for a spirit of revelation and understanding that we could know you more. Lord, we love you, we love you. Father, bless us with hearts that are like good soil, that receive your word and put it into practice. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we're taking time to look at God's word and pull things out of God's word to help us grow stronger, it would almost be silly not to try to learn some things from the strongest man who ever lived. Right, Because the Bible talks about a man that just had this incredible supernatural strength, and when we look at that story, there's things that we can glean how How did he become so strong because that's what we're that's what we're talking about Have you ever watched one of the strongest man competitions where they've got these huge guys that are are just, they've got to find weird objects for them to lift because just regular weights don't do. They're, they're lifting like logs and they're pulling fire trucks and things like that. You ever seen these competitions? And then one of them will be declared the, the world's strongest man. Well, the Bible talks about a guy who wasn't just the strongest man from a competition, but was the strongest man who ever was on the planet. But the source of his strength wasn't his, his muscles. In fact, he had a girlfriend named Delilah that her mission was trying to figure out what in the world makes this guy so strong. So if it was just uh, he had huge biceps or shoulders, uh, it would have been obvious to say, okay, that's what makes this guy so strong. But he was strong, and it left people scratching their heads. What is the source of this guy's strength? She's trying to figure it out. What makes him so strong? It wasn't his workout routine. It wasn't his protein drink. There was something mysterious that gave this guy unusual strength. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14. Start reading verse 5. It says As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat, but he didn't tell his father and mother about it. So here's one story about Samson and a display of strength. It says that he's walking along the road one day, and a lion jumps out and attacks him. Imagine a lion. This is the king of the jungle, right? This is a massive animal. It jumps out and attacks him, and it says that he grabs the lion with his bare hands, and he rips it apart just shreds this line with his bare hands. And then to try to illustrate just how easily he did it, he said, it says he did it as easily as if he was grabbing a young goat and ripping it apart. I'm with you. If I'm honest, this is an analogy that's kind of lost on, on me. right? He did it as easily as grabbing a young goat and tearing the young goat. Now, if it said it, it was as easy as... A, B, C. I, I get that. It was as easy as falling off a log. I understand that. It was as easy as pie. I don't know what that means, but at least I'm familiar with that one. As easy as ripping a young goat. That, that one's kind of lost on me. I think it would be funny if we tried to start incorporating that as a, a saying again. Next time you're trying to describe something as being easy, you're trying to encourage, oh, this recipe, oh, you like it? Well, um, was, there's was not much to it, honestly. I'll share the recipe with you. And then, to try to illustrate how easy it is, say, oh, I'm wh- whipping this up? It's as easy as like taking a young goat in your bare hands and ripping it in half. That's really not the point of reading this passage of Scripture point we're trying to get to is that the spirit of God came upon Samson. The spirit of God came upon him. And all of a sudden, when this lion jumped out, he knew exactly what to do. He grabbed this lion and ripped it in half with his bare hands. And apparently it's trying to let us know he did it with some sort of ease. It wasn't a difficult thing for him. It wasn't a long drawn out battle. He ripped it apart easily. Right? And this this is a pattern as you read through the story of Samson and these incredible feats of strength. The pattern is that the Spirit of God would move on him and it would give him this unusual strength. Let me give you a couple other examples later on in the same chapter. Judges chapter 14, verse 19. Then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to the town of Ashkelon, killed thirty men took their belongings and gave their clothing to the men who had solved his riddle. How did he go down and take out 30 men at one time? The Spirit of God came upon him and gave him an ability that he usually didn't have. He didn't have apart from God's Spirit doing a work in his life. Next chapter, chapter 15, verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from, from his hands. We'll keep reading, but again, he, this time he is, he's taken, he's a captive, He's captured, he's tied up with ropes. They bring him to the Philistine armies. The Philistines are are shouting against him and then something happens. The Holy Spirit moves upon him and it says those ropes became like burnt flax, which that's an analogy, it's a little easier to to get with, right? It it became just just crumbled. He just broke it apart like like it was nothing. Next verse, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. This is amazing. He just he just bursts out of what had bound him before. Now he becomes a free man. How? Because the spirit of God gave him strength That what used to hold him bound. Now it's easy for him to walk in, in freedom. He grabs the jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand men. It's not like he's... These are warriors, right? A Philistine army. It doesn't mention the people that he wounded. It doesn't mention how many people are running away from this guy with the jawbone uh, of a donkey. These are warriors with shields and spears and swords. It's not like he's you know, running through a, a library, clunking people on the head with a, a jawbone. This is, uh, these are warriors, and he's just a thousand on one, and he kills them all with the jawbone of a donkey. This is supernatural strength. This is amazing, and it's all happening connected with the Holy Spirit of God coming upon this man, and it transforms him from just an average Joe into this unbelievably powerful warrior that seems to know no limits in what he is able to do by the Spirit of God. So he kills a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey. Verse 16, Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've slain a thousand men. So he kills a thousand men, and then he writes a little poem. With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. So apparently his anointing didn't have to do with writing poetry or anything. But who's going who's gonna to make fun of a man that can kill a thousand men with a jawbone of a donkey? But it was the Spirit of God that would come upon him. He had a call on his life to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. That's something, how in the world is just some regular guy going to deliver God's people from this mighty nation? On his own, he doesn't have the ability. It's one thing to have a call on your life. It's one thing to have a passion to do something. But if you don't have the ability to actually carry it out, it just ends up in frustration. But God's spirit would come upon him and give him the strength to carry out the assignment that God had given him to do. God's spirit can cause somebody to become stronger. It's not just physical strength. Obviously, these are just feats of strength, but it can make you stronger in your mind, make you stronger in your understanding. God's spirit comes upon people and causes their abilities to, to rise. Let me give you a couple of other uh, of examples. God's spirit came upon King Saul in a special way. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse six, it says, then the spirit of the Lord, will come upon you. This is Samuel talking to Saul as he's anointing him and putting him in the position of being Israel's first king. Samuel said, then the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned in to another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands for God is with you. He's just giving them instruction. And he says, "The, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to prophesy. The Holy Spirit comes upon Saul. He says, When he does, you're going to talk. But it's not going to be like the way you used to talk before. There's going to be something in your words. God's going to fill your mouth with words that they're they're not usual words, they're going to be powerful. They're going to be rich with meaning. They're going to make impact. God's spirit's going to come upon you. Your words are going to be stronger. You're going to prophesy. You're going to prophesy and you're going to be changed into another man. Completely converts him. Changes the kind of man that he is. How? By the spirit of God. And then he says, and let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands for God is with you. Your words are going to be powerful you're going to be completely different and when this when this happens whatever the occasion requires just go ahead and do it why cuz you're anointed God's spirits with you. You carry the presence of God. So Samuel was telling him, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to have the ability that whatever you come up against, you're going to have what it takes to solve the problem, overcome the obstacle. You're going to have the strength necessary. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you, you read through the Old Testament, time and time again, you see men and women that the Holy Spirit would move in their life, and it would it would it would change them and make them have these unique abilities. Basilel in in Exodus chapter 31, that when God was giving instructions on how they're going to build the tabernacle and all the, the, the craftsmanship that was required and everything had to be done to certain specifications, it says that God's spirit came upon a certain man that he was going to have the ability to carry out all of God's instructions and do things exactly as, as God had said. You can read about Daniel, who God... God gave the ability to solve difficult problems that even pagans and heathen people understood. He has a unique ability. When they were puzzled, when they had a problem, they said, bring Daniel in here. We don't fully understand it, but we know that the spirit of God rests on him and it gives him a strength in understanding that nobody else has. How? That they attributed it to the spirit of God dwelling with him. Joseph and the ability to interpret dreams. On and on, there are men and women in the Old Testament that God's spirit would come upon them and it would change them and give them these supernatural, incredible abilities to be mighty men, mighty women of God through the Holy Spirit. Just almost randomly, occasionally, kings, prophets, certain people that God would raise up that would carry the presence, carry the anointing, carry the spirit of God. Amazing. And then Joel Joel prophesied that something would change someday, that it wouldn't just be random people that would get this incredible gift of God's spirit coming upon them. Let let me read to you from Joel chapter two. Verse 28 says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Joel Joel prophesied that there was gonna come a day when things would be different, that it wouldn't just be the rare, the special, the elite. The hand selected, the random person that would get to experience God's spirit coming upon them. Saying there's going to be this new covenant. There's going to be a new day when God was going to pour out his spirit. Again, not just on kings and on prophets, but on everybody, on young people, on old people. On rich people, on poor people, on men, on women, everyone was going to have access that they could have God's spirit rest on them, fill them. People were aware of this prophecy. You'd read this prophecy and say, man, wouldn't that be amazing? Someday it's not going to just be Samson. Someday it's not just going to be King David. Man, there's going to be this day when all of us can have the very Spirit of God. Pe- people were aware of this, would look forward to the time. Can you believe it? Everybody, boys, girls, young, old, poor, rich, it doesn't, you don't have to be a king. You're going to get to have God's Spirit come upon you. Because they were aware of the impact that the Spirit of God had on someone's life. It, it, it made them supernatural beings. And so they look forward to this day when God's Spirit would be poured out. Anyone, anyone could receive the Spirit of God. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly, There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in this other language. They began to speak in tongues. They go outside. They're speaking in tongues. People are are hearing them in their own language. People start saying that they're drunk. These guys are out of their minds. They've just had too much to drink. We'll pick it back up in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the 11, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. People were aware of this prophecy. They were looking forward to it. So on the day of Pentecost, when God poured out his spirit and they began speaking in other tongues, Peter was able to stand up and remind them of this passage and let them know, guys, this is it. This is what we've been look fo- looking forward to, what, what, what Joel prophesied about, that day that we've, we've talked about, we've dreamt about, we've said, won't it be amazing? It's actually happened. This is the time we've stepped into the era where God wants to pour his spirit out on anyone who is willing to receive it. We're living in that time today where we can have God's spirit come upon us and we can receive power, ability, understanding that we're not limited to our own flesh and blood, our DNA, our hairs what our mom and dad But we receive a special DNA from our Heavenly Father through His Spirit and give us His likeness and His abilities operating on the inside of us. So I want to take a few minutes. We're going to pray in just a few minutes for anyone who wants to receive the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk briefly to two groups of people before we do that. The first group of people I want to talk to is people who this is something unfamiliar to you. When we talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit, either it's foreign or or it's something you're, you're familiar with, but the church you used to go to or where you grew up or your family, it was just kind of a, a weird thing that you knew a little bit about, but just enough to know, avoid people that talk about these kinds these kinds of things. So I'll, I want to talk to that group for just a couple of minutes. So if you know Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit's already working in your life. You already have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. right? Let, let me read you from Titus chapter 3. Verse 4, it says, But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life. How did he accomplish that? Through the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about being made new, we talk about new birth, new life through Jesus. The way that that's accomplished is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit's already active in your life. But as you read through the New Testament, you see that there is a second work of the Holy Spirit in our lives for believers. That there's the initial work in salvation... But then there is a second work, which is what we're talking about, baptism, or being filled with the Holy Spirit. After Jesus had died and he rose again in John chapter 20, he's talking to his disciples and it says that he, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the, the resurrected Lord Jesus breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That, that was the initial work. That's when they received the Holy Spirit working in, in salvation. But then in Acts chapter 1, he said, I want you guys to stay put until you receive the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that they'd already received the Holy Spirit in part, but there was a second work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus said, I want you to sit tight until you receive it. Turn to Acts chapter 19. I'm just giving you a few a few examples. If we had more time, we, we could look at more. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So we could read the rest of that story. But the point is that Paul was traveling and it says that he found disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when? when you first believe. So they're already disciples. They're already believers. They've experienced salvation. So he didn't ask them if they knew Jesus. That part had been established. His question was, after you've come into the experience of salvation, which we know the Holy Spirit is working in, did you receive the second work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Did you receive baptism in the Holy Spirit? And you can read the rest of the chapter. They go on to receive the Holy Spirit and begin speaking in in other tongues. There is a second work in the life of a believer, that is baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God's gift to the world. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to his sons and daughters, those who have accepted, those who have accepted Jesus. So if, if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, but not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have that opportunity today, and I want to strongly encourage you to take that step and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So some people will minimize the importance of baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know, it's just a, a fringe issue. It's for people that kind of go off the deep end. If you know Jesus, that, that's good enough. And baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's really not, it's really not that big of a deal. It, it is a big deal. It's such a big deal that it was the very first question that Paul asked when he arrived. We just read those verses in Acts chapter 19. It was such a big deal that after Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, don't go, don't do anything until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing people in the Holy Spirit is a central part of the ministry of Jesus. When people talk to John the Baptist, he said, listen, I baptize you in water, but there's coming one after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. Now, John the Baptist, his ministry was to point to Jesus, right? He was the forerunner. He he went ahead. He prepared the way for Jesus. So that, that was his ministry. That was his assignment. But he said, there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And he said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Think about that. His job is to point to the ministry of Jesus. And of all the things he could have highlighted about Jesus' ministry. He didn't say he's going to die on the cross for you. He didn't say he's going to heal people. He's going to make it so blind people can see again. When he he highlighted the ministry of Jesus and pointed to it, he said, when he comes, you know what he's going to do for you? He's going to baptize you in the spirit of God and with fire. It's important to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not some side issue. It's not just for fanatics. It is important. God wants to empower you with his Holy Spirit and makes you strong. So so who can receive? Turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, starting in verse 37. It says, On the last day... The great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus said, If you are thirsty, you can come to me, and if you come to me, you can drink and you can receive rivers of living water. And then it clarifies for us what he was talking about. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. So what, what do you need to receive the Holy Spirit? One, you need to come to Jesus. That's the first step, right? You need, if you know Jesus, you've experienced salvation, you're eligible to receive the second work, baptism in the Holy Spirit. The second qualification is you need to have a desire, to have a thirst, I want everything that God has. If you're indifferent about it, then you're you're not qualified. But if you're thirsty, God, I want everything you have for me. You're qualified to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you saw it, we read it in the life of King Saul. It'll change you into a new man. He changes you into a new woman. Even in this passage in John chapter 7 that we just read. A person can go from thirsty, if you're thirsty. What's it mean if you're thirsty? You're, You're dry, right? It transforms a person from being thirsty to having rivers of living water flowing out of them. That's a transformation. You you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what we're instructed to do in Ephesians chapter 5. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't adequately talk about being stronger without talking about the importance of being filled with the Spirit of God. Just, Just by nature of being filled, it brings strength. I've got an uncle that has worked road construction all of his life. And I remember him telling me a story once when I was younger of working road construction. They would set up those big uh, barrels, you know, when they divide the lanes. And they would get frustrated because you'd have people that that like to just clip those barrels and send them them flying. And he said one time they get frustrated with people coming in trucks and just clipping those barrels and, and knocking them over. So instead of just leaving an empty barrel, they filled it. I can't remember exactly, filled it with rocks or cement or something. But the next time somebody decided to clip a barrel and hit that one, it was a different store than an empty barrel, right? It ended up ripping the fender off of the truck. It didn't send it, you know, sp- rolling across the lane in, into the into the ditch because it, it wasn't empty anymore. It was filled, and that brings a strength, right? A, a strength to stand up against when, when pressure starts to come, you have something on the inside. Just by nature of being filled in the natural, you can see it makes something stronger. It, it's stronger to be filled than to be empty. I thought about bringing a pop can up here. I don't want to intimidate people, but... I could have brought an empty pop can up and just dented it with my bare hands as easily as ripping a goat into two pieces. No, I I actually tried this this morning. Obviously, you can squeeze a, a can if it's empty and just crush it. I took one that was full that hadn't been opened, and I squeezed it so hard I think I popped something in my wrist. It, it was too strong for me, right? Just by nature of being full versus being, being empty. You need to be filled. If you want to be strong, if you're serious, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to the second group of people I want to talk to. So if you, you've not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit you're going to have an opportunity in just a couple of minutes to come and to receive and have rivers of living water flowing out of you, to be able to speak in other tongues, and to know the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The second group I want to talk to is people who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they're not making use of that gift. They've, They've let themselves become empty. Or maybe you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and if you're being honest, you're not too impressed. It was a neat experience, awesome altar time. I had to speak in tongues for a few minutes, but if you're being honest, life kind of went back to back to normal. And so, I want to challenge you. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can see the pattern in the Book of Acts is that the, the initial evidence is praying in other tongues. We just we just read it a couple of passages. There, there's more that you see that's the pattern. You begin to speak in these other tongues. And it is the initial physical evidence that, that's part of it. But sometimes when we start categorizing and labeling, it, it can mess up our thinking. So you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You look for that initial physical evidence. You've got it. And it, it just it kind of just becomes that. It just kind of becomes the stamp that you receive the baptism of, of the Holy Spirit. When really there's so much more to this amazing gift of speaking in other tongues than we often give it credit because it doesn't... It doesn't fit into all the little categories that we try to compartmentalize it into. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that we use our giftings in proportion to our faith. You use your gifts in proportion to your faith. So that, that applies to any gift, but it also applies to the gift of speaking in tongues. So if speaking in other tongues is just something that distinguishes what category of Christian you are, that's, that's the level of faith that you have, then that's all it'll ever be to you. What kind of Christian are you? are you? Are you the ones that wear the long denim skirts? Are you the ones that go to church on Saturday instead of Sunday? We're the kind that we believe in speaking in tongues. Oh, okay, If it's just something to divide us and kind of let people know what label we have as Christians, that, that's all it'll ever be. But God didn't give us the Holy Spirit, and he didn't give us this gift of speaking in tongues to divide us and to label us. He gave us that to empower us. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll receive power. Now, I've used this illustration before. I apologize for being repetitive. I just don't know a better way to try, to try to illustrate it. One of the ushers, get me some coffee. I'm going to read you from Acts chapter 1 again. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Right? When when are they supposed to receive the power? This isn't like the goat thing. This is straightforward. (laughs) When when are they supposed to receive the power? When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, right? Those two things are supposed to coincide. Then we go to Acts chapter 2, and it says... And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Thank you. As of a, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what he's talking about. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But when it actually happens on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. They began to speak in other tongues. Right? What's the deal? I asked for coffee. This is a cup. Why'd you... You brought me a cup? All right. So what if, what if when Levi brought me, brought me that coffee, I, just, I smacked it out of his hand and said, what is this garbage? Just a cup? Did I ask for a cup? I didn't ask for a cup. I asked for coffee. How could I be any more clear? I, I asked for coffee. Or what if I said, uh, oh, that, that's, that's very nice, and I just set it aside here kind of like I did and went on, and I kept, I kept waiting for the coffee to arrive. Thank you, thank you for the cup. I appreciate the cup. Very nice of you. Thankful for that cup. But please, coffee. I need coffee. I, that would be foolish, right? Because it's very simple to understand that when he handed me the cup, I, I, even though I didn't ask for a cup, I, I was expecting coffee. I received a cup that the coffee is inside of the cup, right? The, the, the cup is just the delivery system holding what I, what I was really looking for. So when he said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you get to the day of Pentecost, and they, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, what do they receive? The gift of tongues, right? They begin to speak in other other tongues. Now, is that something different? Or if we just kind of follow the same kind of logic, we could understand. If he said you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they receive this gift of, of tongues, it's not, it's not just a physical evidence. It's not just any of these categories. It's the delivery system for the power he said that you're going to, re- going to receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we have people that receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're able to pray in tongues. But they'll set they're thankful for it, they'll set it aside. Yep, I have got it. But they're still waiting for the power, and they don't make use of this gift that God has given them, understanding that the power is in this gift of praying in praying in tongues. When you pray in other tongues and your faith is engaged, it's it's a mystery that delivers power into situations. So we we can read through God's word and we can pull out certain understanding that I can pray in, in ways when I don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will intercede through me. That that's that's part of it. Thank God for it. But if we think we can sum it all up with just a couple of definitions a couple of categories we're missing the vastness of what god's spirit can accomplish through us through this mystery of speaking in other tongues there is power in speaking in other tongues and the power is located in that prayer language so if you're not just trying to demonstrate to somebody that you've got the baptism or you have something confusing you don't know how to pray about oftentimes we just we don't use it at all now i'm pentecostal you want to you want to hear we, we want to display it. Or I, I, you want to pray for something that you don't know how to pray for, so, or, or it's just like filler. And we don't engage with faith believing that there is a, a mysterious power that I connect with that's contained, that's being imparted as I engage in using this, this prayer language. One of the ways that God has given us a tool, a method for causing power to flow into us and strengthen us is this mystery of speaking in other tongues. Let me read a couple of verses. Jude verse 20 says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, how? Praying in the Holy Spirit that when we engage in praying in the Holy Spirit, something is happening on the inside. We don't even have to fully understand it. There is a strengthening that's happening. Our faith is growing stronger. I'm being emboldened, empowered. God's doing something supernatural, just like you can't really explain. His his girlfriend couldn't understand how he would be so strong. It was the Spirit of God doing, doing something mysterious, that just an average, looking, an average looking guy could slay a whole army with a random object. It didn't make any sense, but God's Spirit gave him that supernatural ability. Something similar happens when I engage with my prayer language and take time to pray in the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4. Says, He who prays in tongues edifies, edifies himself. I copy this right out of a lexicon. This is what that word means. To increase the potential of someone or something with a focus upon the process involved, to strengthen. To make more able to build up. When a person prays in the Holy Spirit, they're making themselves more able. They're making themselves stronger. They're raising their potential. God does that through his Holy Spirit as we engage in this prayer language. And just like we talked about with prayer last week, quantity matters. Quantity matters. I I don't know how we've, we've downplayed that so much. Just as long as you do it, you know it's it's all the same. No quantity matters. That's why Paul, in the same passage, wrote to the church and said, "I thank God that I I speak in tongues more than any of you." He, he wasn't boasting; he was genuinely thankful that he had he'd received understanding. That just a couple of minutes wasn't the same as taking an, an hour, two hours, three hours, and just just praying hard in the Holy Ghost. He understood it and he was thankful. God, I thank you. You've revealed to me that just uttering a couple of words on the way out the door, or as I flip my Bible over, that's not the same. as taking quality and quantity time to use this gift. God, I thank you. I pray in tongues more than anyone else I know. He, He was genuinely thankful about it because the amount of time played a role. So maybe you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, still talking to category number two. But you're not really using this this power of praying in the Holy Spirit, Taking, taking a length of time and just praying in tongues, pressing through. Your mind starts playing tricks on you, starts telling you you're stupid. It sounds so repetitive. What could you possibly be saying? That's part of it, setting your mind and your natural understanding aside and trusting God's Holy Spirit, accomplishing something that you can't do on your own. Jesus said, "He sent John chapter 14, when I send the Holy Spirit, he's going to strengthen you. He's going to be a strengthener, a helper. You've got to rely on his strength, on his help, that you don't have the ability on your own. The way that you make room for him is to trust. He, he has abilities that I don't have on my own. He's a strengthener. So maybe you're just not making use. You've let yourself run dry. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to to dust off your prayer language, to to take however long we end up praying today and just just blast in tongues, just to to press, use that prayer language, press past all all the the mind games and the foolishness and the thoughts that you think, I sound like an idiot, All, all of that nonsense, just set it aside and use your prayer language. Or maybe you've been disappointed because you haven't kept your life conducive or conductive for the Holy Spirit to flow through you. You know, it's possible to think, yeah, I'm baptizing the Holy Spirit, I don't, I don't really see the difference, and not even be aware of the fact that you've made some decisions, you've done some things, that you've grieved the Holy Spirit, and you think he's really not that, bit, that big of a gift. I, I really can't tell the difference between myself now and myself before, but you've taken some steps. You don't even realize that you're not operating with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what happened to Samson. God told Samson to not cut his hair. And his hair really wasn't the secret of his his strength, right? It was really his obedience. It was obedience that was the secret. And when he violated that covenant that he had with God, he he lost his strength. And it says that he didn't even realize it. Let, let me read that passage to you. Judges chapter 16, verse 20. It says, then she cried out, Delilah, cries out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. You, you, can, you can grieve the Holy Spirit and not even realize that your frustration is because you... You're operating on your, on your own. Your disappointment with being baptized in the Holy Spirit isn't with the Holy, isn't, isn't with the Holy Spirit. Your disappointment is with you disengaging from the flow of the Holy Spirit. You with me? So may, maybe this morning, what you need to do is just to repent. Just to repent and clear out. Maybe it's something hidden in your life. Pride. Being mean-spirited lust something that nobody else can see on the outside. It's not a big obvious thing, but you've made it. So you've grieved the Holy Spirit and your life isn't conductive, conducive for the Holy Spirit to flow. You've grieved him. And maybe you haven't even realized it. You think, man, the Holy Spirit doesn't help me the way that I thought he would. You're right, because you haven't stayed engaged the way that you're supposed to. And you need to repent and allow God to cleanse you of all of your sins and trust that he has and let God's spirit flow fresh through you this morning. So I wanna pray for you, a fresh infilling, fresh oil to be filled fresh with God's spirit. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.